May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Once upon a time, I ordered a few things from my sister's online pampered chef party. I like their stuff, especially their stoneware. Uh, this sermon was not sponsored by Pampered Chef, but I do love their stoneware. So even though I have a general life rule, declining any invite to a sales party, either online or in person, I went ahead and broke my personal rule just this once. What could it hurt, right? So the items came, they're great, perfect, they're fine. Although I can't say that I've made zucchini noodles all that many times since I ordered the vegetable noodler, but that's for another sermon. So a few days after the close of the party, it happened. I got the text message from the sales rep asking me if I wanted to host my own party. I hate that. And here's why. It's so hard to say no and still sound nice. But I don't actually like hosting those kind of things and hounding all of my friends under the sun to buy a garlic press. Especially if you don't have a really great reason for not doing the party, it's hard to say no. So here's this really nice lady trying to make a few extra bucks by selling kitchen things I actually do kind of like. And the only reason I have for not wanting to help her out is that I just don't really want to. And my kitchen has a million gadgets already. So friends, let me confess to you today that I obsessed over how to reply to this text message. I did. I probably spent 30 minutes writing and deleting and rewriting my reply to her about all the really great reasons I had for not hosting an online Pampered Chef party. Yeah, but they were all just like made up or exaggerated reasons. And at some point, I realized that in giving her reasons I couldn't do it, I was inviting a conversation about how to overcome those challenges so that I really could do it, even though I really didn't want to anyway. Don't worry. I realize in retrospect exactly how ridiculous this is. So you can laugh at me because I'm laughing at myself as well. At some point, it occurred to me, I do not owe this woman an explanation. I don't. I hadn't ever actually met her before, for starters. And while it's nice to help someone's business out when you can, I didn't owe her any business. I wasn't even under any obligation to tell her why I wasn't going to sign up to host a party. So I simply texted back, no thank you. And you know what she said in reply? Okay, thanks for letting me know. You know where to find me if you change your mind. That was it. And I'm fully aware that some of you may have found it obvious that all I needed to do was answer the woman honestly and concisely and politely, and that all that hemming and hawing over the reply was kind of borderline crazy. But we do that in so many ways in life, don't we? This is maybe a silly and exaggerated example, but often we get really caught up 
in the guilt of feeling like we owe other people something, when the author of Romans is clear, we only owe other people love. We don't owe everyone elaborate explanations when we answer no to something. We don't have to feel guilt if we are unable to drop everything to bail a person out for the eight millionth time. It's okay to say, I don't have the emotional energy to pick up this phone call right now and to let it go to voicemail. We don't have to let others yell at us or berate us on Facebook because we disagree politically with them. We don't have to tell anyone who we're voting for or why. There are so many things that we feel obligated to give or to do for others that we simply do not owe them. Of course, there are times when the loving thing to do is to explain your no. If my sister texts and asks if I have time to talk, nope is a pretty terrible way to reply. I'm going to need to explain to her that I'm in a meeting and I'll call her when it's over. And of course, there are times when we have to drop everything to go help someone because it's the loving thing to do. We just have to remember that if it's an unhealthy pattern that they are stuck in, that might not always be the best option. If you know the person calling is in a really bad way, but you're just done, sometimes the loving thing to do is answer and say, hey, I love you and I know you're struggling. I can listen, but that's all I can offer right now. Or, I really need some support today too. Can we just pray together? The point is that boundaries and clear communication are vital to loving one another well. So don't let feelings of guilt or feelings of obligation or peer pressure override the loving option. All we owe each other is love. That's it. You know, it's, it's kind of weird here in Romans 13 that the author lists all these big bad sins like sexual immorality and being drunk with jealousy and quarreling. It seems a bit harsh, right? Especially with how focused the church has historically been on sexual sin as being like the worst big bad one. But all the other debauchery that is listed here has something in common. It doesn't take the value of the people around us seriously. They are simply a thing to be used for our own pleasure or gain. And that is the same with the sexual immorality and the drunkenness and everything in that big bad sins list as it is with jealousy and quarreling. It's unloving. And you know, I think that makes sense then, that the author has added quarrels and jealousy in with the list. Those are fundamentally rooted in not valuing the others around us as much as we value ourselves. We quarrel because we don't want to humble ourselves to admit that we might be wrong or that there might be a compromise available. We're jealous because we believe that we are at least or even more deserving than the other person. These are unloving actions. I'm really tired of the dehumanization I've been seeing lately, especially on social media, of both sides of every hot issue argument out there. I know I'm not the only one. This is exhausting. 
It breaks my heart to see those who God calls to love one another tearing each other apart at the seams. Because the sort of quarreling and virtue signaling and mudslinging that is accompanying this year's presidential election cycle, and I am not just talking about the candidates here, it's unloving, plain and simple. The one thing we are told we owe those around us is the very thing that we as a culture are refusing to give one another. It's true. We all have different ideas and different situations as to what love is. And that is sometimes a source of conflict. And that's okay. It's what we do with the conflict. If we're approaching those situations from an attitude of love, we're able to have good and productive conversations about what love looks like. That's a growth opportunity. We're not always going to be perfect at it, but love is a skill that we have to practice. Real love does not come naturally to anyone. Sorry to say that, but it's true. The most loving people you know in your life, the ones that are the shining examples of loving neighbor, they are the ones who have been practicing love very purposefully. Look again at this list of failure to love sins that we have here. They're all things that we have to actively work against. They aren't sins of omission, the things we've left undone. They're not forgetting to say I love you or send flowers. They're the things that we have done and we shouldn't. Love isn't just working hard to do certain things that are considered loving. Love is also working hard to avoid things that don't show love to others, that don't value others. Which, for the record, is quite often very much more difficult than remembering to actively love a person close to us. Love is do no harm. And that leads to redemption. <laughs> that is the good news, dear ones. In love, we move from dark to light. In love, we move from sin and harm to wholeness and unity. I frequently give out homework at the end of a sermon because I do believe it's important to both hear the word and then go out and be the word. Do and practice the word. So here is what I want you all to reflect on this week. You might want to write this down real quick or uh, check out the church blog for the questions later. I'll put them there as well because this might be a good place to journal this week or to do some guided prayer perhaps. Where in my life do I or have I felt an obligation to someone to act out of anything other than the gospel of love toward them? How might I have responded differently in that situation and what might have changed if I had? Where can I be more loving to myself and to others by setting good boundaries in my life with the people around me? Where is my lack of boundaries possibly hurting someone? And remember, you are someone that can be hurt by a lack of not having good boundaries. What are the situations in which I am the most prone to falling into unloving behavior like quarreling, jealousy, sexual immorality, or the others listed in this passage? How might I avoid those situations so as not to fall into traps of unloving behavior? What boundaries might I need to set in order to better love others? This is 
the good news and the hard work of the gospel, beloved. It is both a challenging task and one that I trust you are up for. May the grace of God go with you as you head out to do this good and loving work this week. Amen.